talk about that song that we just sang. Your praise will ever be on my lips. And I guess the question is, is why? Why do we want to praise God? Well, if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, we've been in a series called Limitless. In the first week, we talked about the limitless grace that is found in Jesus, the limitless grace that is found in our Heavenly Father. When we think about that limitless grace that He's poured out on us, we praise Him for it. And as we talked about that that first week, one of the things that we have to remember is why does it matter? Why does that grace matter? Well, here's what it is for us. I gave you a phrase. It is this, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And if we can hold on to that and we can apply that to our lives, it'll change everything. Then last week, we jumped into to God's power, and we praise Him for His power, His unlimited power. Really, His power can only be limited by Himself. So when we look at that, we say, well, how does that matter? Why does that matter for us? Well, it's because the fact is, God is able. And we asked you last week to pray big prayers. And I'm hoping that throughout the week that you prayed big prayers. And when you joined us on Thursday for our, our prayer and fasting on the third Thursday of the, of the month, that you looked at that and you said, I want to pray big prayers that God would only be the one that got the praise and the glory for it. And that's why that praise is on our lips. And this week, we're going to be in week number three. And week number three... We talked last week about that, that power. We use the word omnipotence. This week we're going to talk about two more omni words. And the two omni words we're going to talk about today is omniscient, which means all-knowing, as well as omnipresent, which means all-present or ever-present or always there. Now, when I say those two words, when I talk about God being all-powerful or I talk about God being ever-present, there's two responses we can have to that. One is a response of comfort and knowing God is always there and knowing God knows everything. And then there's an opposite response, and that is this. It's a response of fear that God knows everything and he's always there. So as we dive into it today, I, I want to look at, at these two omni words. And they're, they're big theological words that get thrown around a lot. But I want to take them and I want to make them on a more personal level. Why should it matter to us that God is always with us and that God knows everything? So if you have your Bibles with you, I would love for you to open up to Psalm 139. As you open up to Psalm 139, the psalmist, who's David, is writing about these two attributes of God. And he's taking them from that big theological step up here and bringing them down to help us make it personal. And I haven't done this before, and I want to do something different this morning. But as I read Psalm 139, if you are able, I would ask you to stand. As we read this, and uh, you can follow along in your Bible or you can follow along up here on the screen, I'm going to be reading from Psalm 139. All whole chapter, and I'll be reading from the ESV. So if you wouldn't mind standing with me as we read this together. Here's what it says. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it. Altogether, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely, 
The darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You saw, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speed against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? I do not lo- and do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with this complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way that is everlasting. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for your word. And I pray today, as the psalmist David, as King David, explained in such a personal way the connection that he had, I pray we can experience that same connection today. I pray it in your name. Amen. Guys, you can be seated. and Thank you for standing during the reading. You know, as I read that and as I see that, there's some things that, that uh, I want to let you know about today. You may know this already, but today is human, or sorry, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And what the Sanctity of Life Sunday is, it's a day that was set apart on, in 1984 by President Ronald Reagan. And it was a day that was to remember a Supreme Court decision that came, happened in 1973 on January 22nd. It was on the 11th anniversary that Ronald Reagan set up aside a day to, to remember and to think about the sanctity of life. And that decision that was, was Roe v. Wade, and I made a mistake during the first hour because I said, well, 35 years ago tomorrow will be the anniversary. And then somebody came to me and said, aren't you going to be 42 this week? And I said, yes, I am. And they said, well, that happened before you were born. So it's actually 45 years, not 35 years. And I went, I kind of like the other way better. I'd rather be celebrating 32 this week. That'd be better that way. But in the reality, they said, uh, as you look at it, that decision has come down now 45 years ago. I want to throw out a number to you and the reason why we have to have this Sanctity of Life Sunday to even begin with. But in those 45 years, over 60 million babies' lives have been snuffed out before they have to take their first breath. And that's a, that's a hard thing to take on, but, but here's the reality. I really don't like this Sunday. I really don't like this Sanctity of Life Sunday. And it's not because it's unbiblical, because in the Bible, when we look at the Bible, we will see that, that God is a huge proponent for the, the fatherless and the, and the widowed. We also will see that that he is against the shedding of innocent blood. So it's not because it's unbiblical that I don't like it, and it's not because it's inappropriate. I mean, when you think about the appropriation of what we should be doing on a Sunday, it's like Easter. Easter's more than one Sunday every year. Easter's every Sunday. Easter's every day. We celebrate the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christmas, same way, the fact that Christ came down and put on flesh. We celebrate the incarnation every week. Well, we should always celebrate life. 
every week. So it's not that it's inappropriate. Here's why I don't like it. Because we have to have a Sunday that is set aside to tell people that life matters. We have to have a Sunday that is set aside to tell people that life matters, to tell a, a mother that it's okay to keep your baby, to tell a father not to abandon their children, to tell children who, as they've grown and their parents have grown old and ended up in, in a home, that their parents aren't worthless. We have to tell people that. There is something wrong that we have to tell people that. When you have to set aside a Sunday to say, hey, life matters, it tells you how dark of a world that we live in. And it hurts. And that's why I don't like this Sunday. I, I don't like the fact that when I look out across the youth in here, and I'm reading from Psalm 139, as I'm reading from Psalm 139, I'm looking at the youth and saying, I pray that when your children and your grandchildren are growing up, that not only is abortion illegal, that it's unthinkable. That's what I pray. But why should I have to pray that? Shouldn't that be even now? See, I don't like this Sunday because I'm reminded that even today, as I am preaching, there are babies that are warmly nestled in their mother's womb that will not be there tomorrow. When I think about the fact that there are, are children that are probably in the houses that are just a few blocks from this place, right here, right now, that they are being beaten and slapped and burned and, and chained. We don't know what's going on. Did you see all that stuff that happened in California this week? That Christy was reading the details to me, and then we listened to the prosecutor go through everything. And if you don't know about it, man, there's crazy people in this world. They would treat a human being the way they treated human beings. Their own kids tore me up, made me angry. And I think, why do we have to have a Sanctity of Life Sunday? Why do we have to tell people that life matters? Why do we have to do these things? I think about even when I go over to the Fairwinds, and you see these elderly couples, individuals that are lonely because no family member has come to visit them. They've just been pushed aside, left basically to die. I think, why do we have to do that? And that's why I don't like Sanctity of Life Sunday. But I will tell you why I do like Sanctity of Life Sunday. The reason why I do like it is because I get to serve in a congregation that cares about life. I get to serve in a congregation that has adopted kids. I get to serve in a congregation that has reached out and fostered kids. I get to serve in a congregation that, that wants to see life changed. I get to visit people and know people that work over here at the CareNet Pregnancy Center and other ones like it that care about life and give options of choosing life over abortion. That's why I get excited about Sanctity of Life Sunday as well as there's people in churches all around and maybe even in here that at some point in time have made the decision of abortion and in that decision they understand that, that Jesus still loves them, that Jesus has forgiven them, that Jesus is the answer, and that they're being redeemed, that they have a new life. That's a beautiful thing. That's why I like Sanctity of Life Sunday, and that's why even as we look at this passage today, as we look at it's the Psalm 139, and we look at these things, the one thing I want you to walk away with today is this, is that all life matters. All life matters. See, because we, we get caught up in, in thinking, well, I just don't know about that, Matt. And, and maybe your struggle is, isn't 
the, the fact that, that you don't agree with me on the abortion side of it all. You believe that a, a baby in the mother's womb is, is a life. And maybe you don't disagree with me on the, the euthanasia side of it all where, where you think that, that lives are, are worth something to the very end. And you don't disagree with me that everything in between those two things matters. Except for one person. That one person's you. Maybe somewhere inside of you, you think, I don't matter. Everything else you've talked about, I completely understand, but it's me. I struggle with me. When I'm driving in the car, my head starts racing, my, my thoughts start going, and my, my thoughts are going. All I can think about is, why am I doing this? Why am I breathing? Why am I here? What point do I serve? Everything I do comes up short. Everything I do is a failure. Everything I am, nobody loves me. And you go through this whole thing. And here's the thing. Maybe you walked into here today with a church face on. I understand that. I've been in church since I was pretty much born, became a Christian when I was 12, and I was always told how to put my church face on. Doesn't matter how you're feeling, I could be fighting like the dogs out there in the parking lot, but as soon as I got inside, I was smiling and I was happy. And maybe that's you today. That's right, yeah. You got a slap today. I know it. The, the, the reality is, 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 is we have this idea that, well, if we're in church, we have to be, have it all together. We have to be where it needs to be, and we're struggling with that. And you're thinking to yourself, but I, I can't tell people I'm actually struggling. I can't tell people that I feel like life is a boring treadmill that's just going around and around and around and around. I'm staring at the same blank wall. I was laughing this week. Uh, Christy and I uh, were celebrating uh, 20 years of marriage in May. We began to plan out what we're going to do. We're not doing anything huge. We're not going to Hawaii or anything cool like that. We're just going to get away from our kids. And, and so <laughs> that's good enough. But we were looking at different places to go at the beach and so on and so forth. And all these hotels I'm looking at at the beach, they have a treadmill room, you know, a little exercise room with treadmills in it. I'm like, who comes to the beach and runs inside? What kind of person does that? Who goes on vacation or runs in the first place? But who goes to the beach and runs inside when you have all that scenery? But isn't that the way life is sometimes? You have all the things that you could be experiencing, but you're running on this same old, same old, my life doesn't matter. And you've kind of almost deemed yourself unnecessary. You feel underappreciated. You feel overlooked. You feel underpaid. And like I said, even unnecessary. So what do you do? How do, we, how do we focus on this? Because as I say it, my guess is, is that there's probably more than one person that has battled with these thoughts. My guess is that everybody in this room at some point in time has battled with these thoughts. But even today, somebody's still struggling with it. Maybe it's a daily struggle. Maybe it's a daily wrestling. And you say, you know, what difference does my life make? Or what difference does any life make? And so what I want to do today is I want to dive into this Psalm 139. And I want you to shift your perspective from your perspective, from the world's perspective, to God's perspective of you and this world. As we look at Psalm 139, there's four truths that we're going to see, four truths that I want you to hold on to, four truths that I want you to apply when we say that all life matters. So if your Bibles are still open there to Psalm 139, we're going to look at these first six verses and see truth number one. And the truth number one is this. God knows you. And he still loves you anyway. 
God knows you, and he still loves you anyway. See, the opening six verses, there's eight different descriptions that stack up on top of each other. And as they stack up on top of each other, it tells you how well God knows you, how deeply God knows you, how intimately God knows you. As a matter of fact, it says that in the first verse. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind me before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain it. See, each one of these thoughts build on top of each other, and it, tell, it even shows the, the response of David. This stuff is so huge and so deep. It's so wonderful. I can't even grasp what is being said. I can't even grasp what you're trying to say here. He, he dissects my world, and he knows everything about me. He knows my ins, and he knows my outs. He knows my thoughts, and he knows my fears. He knows my happy times, and he knows my low times. He knows my heart better than I know my heart. When I say, hey, I'm going to do this, he goes, no, you're not. You're going to do that. Don't lie to me. But we do anyway, as if somehow we don't think that he knows. And I got to thinking about this, you know, he, he knows us, and he still loves us anyway. He knows our deepest, darkest secrets. He knows our deepest, darkest wounds. He knows our deepest, darkest, even hatred, and he still loves us anyway. Let that soak in for a second. Think about how amazing that is. You know what the great thing is, is that God wants to bless you. See, when it says that he lays his hand on you, it's actually an Old Testament uh, thing for, for the Hebrew families when, the, when the, the patriarch of the family would lay their hand on their son and tell them, this is what life is going to be like. This is the blessings that you're going to have. This is where you're going. It says that God does that for us because we're a part of his family. See, as he says, I am your heavenly father. This is a blessing I'm pouring out on you. Understand this, that when you are in my family, there are no nobodies. How often do we feel like a nobody? How often do we feel, like I said, underappreciated? How often do we feel unnecessary? He says, no, you're a part of my family. You've been adopted in my family, and in my family, there are no nobodies. There is a plan that I have for you. Which leads us to the second thing. Not only does he know us, he pursues us. See, when we look there, it says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me to attain. It is high. I, I can't grasp it. I have all of this going on. When you think about that and you think about the way that God is and that he does know everything and that he is everywhere, what's your natural response? Is it one of comfort or is it one of fear? I almost wonder where David was at in this because the next thing he writes is, how do I escape this? How do I get away? Because I am not worthy to be in your presence, which we aren't. But he says, I'm not worthy. I can't be there. How, how are you going to be there all the time? And he says this, where shall I go from your spirit, verse 7? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. See, I can't escape God. 
I can't escape God's knowledge of me. I can't escape God's presence. I can't escape his power that we talked about last week. But even the best thing is, is I can't escape his grace that we talked about two weeks ago. That unlimited grace and that unlimited power, it is there. But think about this. Imagine the, the overwhelming thinking that God knows everything and that he sees everything and that he has it all there. David's response is, I got to find some place to go. I got I to gotta get out of here. I got to get into some place and hide because isn't that our natural reaction? Wasn't that Adam and Eve's first natural reaction? As soon as they found out, they're like, we got to hide because we're naked. And, and that's our response, too. We're exposed before God and because he knows everything. So I got to hide. He says, no, no, I'm going to continue to chase after you. And it's not to throw down justice on you. It's not to, to punish you. It's because he loves you. It's because he wants you. And he's chasing after you. And that, that unlimited grace is being poured out on us. And he wants to give it to us. And the crazy thing is, you look at verse 9, it says, If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. That, that leading is, is God's guidance. And that holding is God's security. See, he wants you to know, he wants me to know that he wants us. He wants us. Over and over and over again in the Bible, it talks about us being dearly loved children. It talks about us being chosen. It talks about us, us being beloved. Isn't that a cool thing? When you stop and think about it, I mean, there's this God that created everything, and he still loves you, and he still wants you, and he still wants to be in a relationship with you. Doesn't that just blow your mind just a little bit? I mean, just, just think about this for just a second. Who's your favorite athlete? Who's your favorite rock star? Who's your favorite, you know, politician, whatever, if, if there's such a thing? Uh, you know, who is, who is your favorite? And when you stop and think about that, what if they came to you and said, I want you to be a part of my family? Would you be pretty excited about that? Probably so. They're like, yeah, sure. Cal Ripken, I'll go hang out with you. No big deal. We can chum. You know, it'd be good. It'd be all, here's the deal. God created those people. God created those people. I was going to say Aaron Rodgers, but you know, he still hurt. Here's the reality. When we stop and think about it, God wants us. And when we feel that crushing weight of the world and everything the world has to say about us and everything that we're struggling with, God wants us. And he's trying to tell us that. There's actually a, a story, uh, a lady by the name of Mary Ann Bird, she's a writer, and um, I, when I found this illustration, I'm like, is this true? And I looked it up and found out it's, it's 100% true. The lady um, was a writer, but as she was growing up, she knew she was different. And this is what she writes in a story called The Whisper Test. She said, I knew I was different and I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate. And when I started school, my classmates made it clear to me how I looked at others. A little girl with a misshapen lip, a crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and garbled speech. As a matter of fact, she had to go through 17 surgeries up into her teen years to help get it fixed. When schoolmates asked what happened to your lip, I'd tell them I'd fallen and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. I was convinced that no one outside my family could ever love me. There was, however, a teacher in the second grade whom we all adored named Miss Leonard. 
She was short, round, and happy, a sparkling lady. Annually, we had a hearing test. Miss Leonard gave the test to everyone in the class, and finally it was my turn. I knew from past years, as we stood against the door, we'd cover one ear, and the teacher would be sitting at her desk and whisper something, and we'd have to repeat it back. Things like, the sky is blue, or do you have new shoes? I waited there for those words that God must have put into her mouth, those seven words that changed my life. Mrs. Leonard said in her whisper, I wish you were my little girl. When you stop and think about that, we feel so unwanted. We feel so unloved. We feel so unworthy. And God is just whispering, you're mine. I want you. Oh, how he loves you and me. And we stop and we think about that. And he says, because you belong to me, because you have faith in my son, Jesus Christ, because you are part of my family, there is nothing that can separate you from my love. Just let that soak in. Just let that penetrate your heart. And as it does, think about this next point. God made you for himself, and he himself made you. Isn't that just amazing to think about? Look at verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was hidden not from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. I mean, when you pay attention to those words, who is it that formed you? Who is it that made you? Who is it that took time? The same one who made the sun and the stars and the earth and the planet and the animals and everything that's on it, he took time to make you. And not only did he take time to make you, you're not just some random processed clone. You are unique. You are exactly who God wants you to be. You are exactly who he made you to be. Every one of your features he made for you. You know, as we look at that, you have to think, I am totally unique. I am one of a kind. Just look at your thumbs. That thumbprint that is on there is not like anybody else's. Past, present, or future. Because God knows every detail about you. Just ponder that for a second. Let that soak in for a second. I mean, when you don't like what you see in the mirror, is that you? Do you ever wake up and look in the mirror and go, hmm, I just don't know about that. Like I said, we're going to the beach in a couple of months. And I looked at it and I went, oh, I'm going to have to wear a T-shirt. You know, that kind of thing. You know, that, that's my thinking. And, and when you look at that, you go, oh, I just don't really like it. See, that's, the problem is, is, is somehow we, we go, God, you, you, you can't love me. I, I don't even love me. We listen to everything the world has to say, but we don't listen to the whisper of him saying, I want you. You're mine. You're my child. And when we really stop and let that sink in, we can say, hey, God, he's given me a personality. He's given me abilities. He's given me spiritual gifts. And he's given me a purpose that is specifically for me. And when we let that sink in, I believe it will change our thinking, we'll understand that he knows us. We'll understand that he wants us. He'll understand that he made us exactly the way we are to be used the way we are to become more like him. And you know what? We need to see our lives that way. We need to see our lives that, that God wants us. And you know what we also need to do? We also need to see other lives that way. We need to see other lives that way. Because I think sometimes we can say, well, you know, they're not like me. Race, ethnicity, skin, 
gender. You know, the list can go on. Ability, disability. Stop and think about that. I read an article not too, too long ago. It was an article that, that really angered me. It's an article put out by CBS News, and CBS News was reporting in a glorious way that in Iceland, they've almost eradicated Down syndrome. And that didn't make me happy. Because they made it sound like they were solving some problem, but they were solving it by just eliminating the people. They were saying that their abortion rate for Down syndrome was 98% that right now, currently in Iceland, they have between one and two babies a year that are born with Down syndrome. And they're celebrating that fact. And that hurt me. Because they look at Down syndrome as a problem. As a matter of fact, I read a a, a review or an interview, I should say, and it basically said this. Well, women should have the choice on the kind of family they should have. And I, I, I was angered by that. Now, granted, I'm not a woman, so I can't get to to say much in that area, but I am a father of three kids with Down syndrome. And I can tell you that by choice, we got to choose to have these three in our house. And by choice, we had to say our family is going to be different. But let me tell you something about our family. Our family is much better different than it ever was before them. And our family is a much better different because they are life changers. As a matter of fact, I read another article that did a poll of children and adults with Down syndrome. Do you realize that in the poll they asked three questions? Are you happy? Do you love your family? And does your family love you? You know what the answers were to those three questions? 99% said, yes, I am happy, yes, I am loved, and yes, I love my family. You tell me one other people group on this planet that 99% could say, yes, I am loved, yes, I love others, and yes, I am happy. You tell me, just one. Because as I stop and I think about that, and as I look at that, I think to myself, why would we want to eliminate that? God made them for a purpose just like he made me for a purpose, just like he made you for a purpose. And sometimes our purposes don't always jive because we're selfish people. But it doesn't change the fact that God made us for a purpose and that he made us for himself and by himself. We have to see life in that way. Because see, as I look at Iceland, I think they've eliminated 98%. Europe is 96%. America is 90%. Those are heartbreaking statistics. Heartbreaking. And that's just based on a marker test that may or may not even be true. God made us for himself. And not only did he make us for himself, he has a specific plan for you and a specific plan for me. That second part of verse 16 says, In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. David says there's a script for your life, and it's already written out. There's a script for your life that is already right there, and I'm going to walk with you in it. Man, what a beautiful thing. Now you might say, well, hold on, hang on a second. So he's written out everything. How do I have free will? I can't explain that. I wish I could. 
I wish I could take time and say, well, this is how we get to make decisions, but he already knows everything, so he knows the decision we're going to make. It's kind of a big thing. We try and put God in this little box and say, this is how you explain it. I can't do it. That's why we're calling the sermon limitless, because we can't limit him. And so as I look at that and I think about that in our lives, I think, you know, not only God create us, not only does God have plans for us, but he didn't just make that plan and look away and walk away and say, all right, you're on your own. He wants to walk through this every day of our lives with us. And every morning we wake up, there's new mercies. And every morning we wake up, there's new grace. And every morning we wake up, He is there. That is an awesome thing. No matter what we're struggling with, no matter how alone we feel, no matter any of those things, we have to understand that God knows us. We have to understand that God loves us. We have to understand that He's pursuing after us. We have to understand that He has made us for Himself. And we have to understand that He has plans to glorify Himself in it all. And when we grasp that, it changes everything. My question for you today is this. Will you hear that small voice, that whisper that says, I want you. You're mine. Stop listening to the world and all the things that I have to say and all the things that make you feel unnecessary and all the things that make you question who you are and instead say, God has made you for a purpose. I don't carry $50 bills around often, but today I do. Only for illustration purposes. It goes back in the emergency fund as soon as we're done. <laughs> this is a $50 bill. If I had walked up to any single one of you and said, would you like this? My guess is, unless something's wrong with you, you would say, I'll take that. You'll say, I'll go buy lunch. I'll go do whatever. I'll take this $50 bill, right? It's clean. It's crisp. It looks real nice. But what if I crumpled it up and then I offered it to you? Would you still take it? Yeah, of course you would. W what if I dropped it on the ground and I stepped on it? Would you still take it? What if I spit on it? I'm not going to do that. What if, I, what if I spit on it? What if I said, here is a nasty, dirty $50 bill? Do you want it? How many of you would still take it? All of us would. You know why? Because it's still worth $50. doesn't matter how it looks. doesn't matter what it's gone through. All that matters is it's still worth $50. When you stop and think about your life, some of you in here, you want to be the clean, crisp $50 bill. But you've been beat up. You've been stepped on, you've been held down, you've been put to the branch. And you're like, I'm worthless. Nope. You're still worth exactly what Jesus says you're worth, exactly what God says you're worth. You know how much you're worth to God? One Jesus. One Jesus. Every single one of us in here, we have worth that is found in our Heavenly Father. He knows us, He pursues us, He made us. And he has a plan for us. My question for you is, is do you believe it? Because it's real easy to go, no. You're talking to everybody else in the room, Matt, not me. I'm not. I'm talking to you specifically today. And as I do, I pray it's God's words going through me, not my words. Because it's a struggle I have just as much as you do. But God wants to use you for his glory and his purpose, no matter who you are whether you work or you're a stay-at-home parent or if you have kids or you're single. God wants to use you right where you're at for his glory and his honor. I pray that you listen to that voice. As a matter of fact, let's pray for that now. Father, we are so grateful for who you are and so grateful for what you do. 
And I'm thankful that you loved me enough to send your son. And I'm grateful that you loved every person in this room enough to send your son. God, I, I struggle with my worth. But I know, I know that you love me. I struggle with my failures, but I know that you love me. I struggle with, with the areas of my life that I try and keep hidden, but I know that you love me and that you are there. And my guess is there's people in this room that are struggling with the same thing. First and foremost, they're probably wondering why you would love us. That's a question I don't think we can answer other than the fact that you do. Even with all the warts, all the dirt, all the beat up, we're still worth one Jesus to you. And God, I think about the differences that are in this room from gender to skin color to economic status to abilities to disabilities. God, you love us all. You created us all for a purpose. And that purpose is to glorify you. And maybe somebody in here has not experienced your love yet. They didn't know that your son came to live and die and raise again to defeat death for them. I pray if that's someone in this room that today they get to meet you. I also pray for those who already know them and still struggle with the fact that why? They listen to the world more than they listen to you. And God, I pray that we can shut the world out and we can hear you say, I'm wanted. And hear you tell me that, that we're made for a purpose. God, I pray that even today, even today as we leave this place, we can experience that love and that grace and that mercy, that limitless power, and know that you're with us every step of the way. Pray it in your name.